Hello and welcome back to another episode. So today we're going to talk about marginal gains and I'll just position why that's important first. So marginal gains and this was talked about by quite a few different professionals but in essence marginal gains is about trying to gain a 1% efficiency benefit from all aspects of a subject. Now if you were to apply that to lawn mowing, it would be 1% on to a 1% improvement to changing the blade, to unloading out the vehicle, to the billing cycle, to the customer interaction, etc. etc. And if you were to get a 1% efficiency benefit in terms of time, that should generate and make you more profit. That's that's the theory. Um, or it can help your capacity management in terms of being able to take more and more on. Now, there have been loads and loads of different businesses that have taken this concept of marginal gains and really made it their own. And there's quite a few different ways that you can do it that's obvious. So like tool racking in a van, for example, would be, you know, putting the tools that you use the most and all the tools that are using more in that season to making them closer to the door, closer to where you are, less friction, getting that type, getting that tool out. Um, and obviously loads of other things like having spare equipment or, you know, there's the obvious stuff. But what I think Marginal Games is really good at is looking at the individual steps and motions within a certain topic and then just trying to extract the value and i'm going to give some examples from some other industries that um i've learned over the years and obviously this is not going to be relevant so much to lawn mowing but it's just interesting to kind of hear or i think it's interesting at least um how other industries and other businesses have adopted this so Team Sky is a great example, and Dave Brailsford took over Team Sky um, uh, about 2006, seven something along those lines. And before that, we'd not really had a presence in the in the cycling in in the cycling world of the Olympics for quite a number of years. Uh, really, since like the early 90s, Chris Baldwin and Graham Aubrey, and obviously, you all remember Beijing was like. The Beijing Olympics in 2008, we just, we were just so good at cycling. We dominated, you know, Chris Hoy and those guys just really did go crazy. And then, of course, London 2012, we won basically everything. And these get this Olympic squad really did take marginal gains to the next level. Now, obviously, everything that's within professional sport is looked at and it's already every aspect of the bicycle is looked at you know the chain strength the the weight of it the tires the every bit of aerodynamics is put into a wind tunnel you know crazy money spent and you know it's the same in f1 you know even in my lifetime an f1 pit stop has gone from like 10 seconds to like three seconds Whereas if you go back to the 1960s, it was 60 seconds yeah. and, there were, and there were smacking stuff with a hammer to get it on. You know, like, so even in my life, in my short lifetime, I've seen a, um, I've seen 
a seven-second improvement to the average pit stop. Now, Dave Brailsford and co, because uh, it is co, because there's, there's quite a lot that goes into this. Obviously, they looked at everything to do with the bike, everything to do with the nutrition, and everything to do with the fitness, which is standard. Every single country, every single team looks at those things. But they went a little bit further. So they took they looked to the 1% of everything else that was going on in that, in that person's life. So sleeping, for example, was one thing that they looked at. And how do you get a 1% benefit in sleeping? Obviously, going to bed at the same time every night, waking up at the same time is great if it's drilled in. But it's not great if you're if you don't have like a set routine, which you don't have if you're going abroad and traveling around and doing different stages of the Tour de France, for example. So what they did was they took their mattress from home and their duvet from home and they actually carted it to the the hotel so they could have at-home sleep every single night. Yeah. Every single night was like sleeping at home because once you're under the covers and you you got the mattress, you could be in the middle of anywhere and it would feel like home. And it's that consistency and that's your 1% benefit. Now, 1% benefit of cycling is huge, just like it is F1. If if you're 1% faster than a guy in F1, you're a lap quicker. You know, it's huge. And there's loads of other little things that they looked at. And, um, but yeah, that's kind of the, that was the out of the box thinking. Yeah, cart the mattress around. Southwest Airlines in the US are one of the biggest. Uh, I'm not American, as you can tell. Um, but they are one of the biggest airlines out there. And I guess if you were to make them equivalent to something in the UK, they would probably sit near Ryanair in terms of price, quality. And Southwest Airlines have done a, it's a bit of a novel way of um, basically making things cheaper. So their boarding times are 30 minutes. So it's a 30 minute board from you being at the gate to in the air, which is, if you've ever flown, ludicrous. So they've done it in a number of different ways, but the the, um, the main way they've done it is by not having selected seats. So you can't pick your seats. Yeah, but just you like can a bus, everyone on. Yeah. But it's, but it's actually not that bad if you fill up from the front. So if you directly fill up from the front, no negotiations, you know what you're getting yourself into, in for, then it's fine. Because it's all just filtered up to the front. Nobody's getting in, in anyone's way. Nobody's concerned about putting bags up into the overhead lockers, and you just. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't go off quite as harmoniously every time, but there's a sense of speed because everybody knows that in half an hour they're going to be in the air, and you've got to yeah. get you've got to get a wriggle on. And that was just one way that they cut down the boarding time. And what they've also what they also did was a lot of airlines will go from a smaller airport to a larger airport. And we all know what those airports are. They're Stansted, Gatwick, Heathrow, Manchester, Dublin. I guess the, the biggies are around us, Glasgow maybe. Um, <clears throat> but we, um, but the, 
and, and obviously the smaller airports, so like, I don't know, an airport in Norway will, will fly in directly to Manchester, as will Belfast, as will a lot of the other kind of smaller um, airlines, and the big ones as well, but everything will go into that larger one. Southwest Airlines did it slightly differently. They operate it like a hop-on, hop-off bus. And instead of everything going to, you know, all roads, all roads leading to Rome, it's like Frankfurt to Munich to Moscow to Rome to... And that's obviously, I don't know, American, but I don't know. I don't know American geography that well. Um, and it's basically hop-on, hop-off. And what they can do there is they can make it dirt cheap because the value of that seat on that... 12 hour flight that stops six times is you know thousands and thousands of pounds now you couldn't make that thousand thousands thousands of pounds on that one seat doing a 12 hour so they do actually generate more money but it's the risk of it being unoccupied from frankfurt to munich for example but it will be full for the rest of it maybe not with the same bomb and it's a really interesting way of doing it. So they've kind of taken the the idea of you go to this app, you all fly into this one place and then out of this one place to various different things. It's actually just a continuous plane. And what that also does is it means boarding's quicker again. Because yeah. half the people are already sat down. And they're going to the next 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 destination. And it's a really novel way of thinking about um uh, marginal gains and efficiency. Next example is UPS, the delivery service UPS. Now, they will very, very, very rarely in the in America, especially in cities, they will very rarely make a right turn. Sorry, a left turn. Yeah. Because they've got to cross over the obviously it's right turn in the UK. They've got to cross over uh, the other the other lane. And then when they get out of that little block, they've got to cross over it again, which means two passages of the opposite um, line of traffic. So the only go, um, like in the UK, will be left or America will be right. Um, for those that drive on the correct side, it will be left. And the um, and what that does is it basically means that they never have to cross the road. And it's not an efficiency thing at all. Uh, in terms of like um, on foot, it's simply just the van, and it's about getting that van to go left and then left and then left, and you could do four lefts of a block in the same time that it might take to cross the road. And they will plan two routes rather than just the one to deal with those lefts. And again, it saves them a fortune. And they do other little things as well, like. You ever see a UPS delivery driver? They've got a key ring on the finger. So the key, because they waste time rummaging around the pocket trying to find a key. Yeah. Whereas when it's just directly on your finger, yeah, it might be a little bit annoying for now. But mm. And the classic in America, no driver's door. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so U- UPS have kind of taken that. And, um, yeah. I mean, the route planning for that must be ludicrous. But... It, it it must pay so much dividends because they they must have run those numbers. But yeah, to only left or right turns when you're doing the um, 
And then, of course, the big golden arches, which love them or hate them, as a business model, it's phenomenal. So McDonald's are just like, they are crazy in terms of their efficiencies. And, you know, you might hate the food, you might not like what they stand for, and you might be a vegan, um, or they do a plant now. But the, um, yeah, love them or loathe them. You can't deny that McDonald's can not only serve quickly, they're pretty consistent. Yeah, they forget the odd thing in a bag, and there's always trainees, and, you know. But it doesn't tend to taste any different. You know, it tends to be pretty, pretty consistent. And they're also, from a franchise level, very very efficient so they can pop up a they can pop up a mcdonald's in like two, two months they can go from a car park to a yeah. fully fledged mcdonald's that's got queues around the corner within two months and train staff like that is an efficient system they go in they pop one up they sell it back sell it to the franchise owner done and it's yeah it's like nothing else and part of that is the fact that they've got such reach I mean, I live in a relatively small city and there's five McDonald's in and around where I live. None of them are struggling. None of them are struggling. And, you know, they they kind of went through a bit of a transition from the 90s. So in the 90s, everything was about fast food and how quick can you get the food out. And actually, that became a bit of a given, the fact that you were going to turn up and you were just going to get food and it was going to be quick. And... You might have noticed they've probably slowed down since when you were a kid because they don't have food waiting like they used to do. Do you remember they used to have those runs with like two or three cheeseburgers waiting on them? And yeah. like, now they don't have that. Everything's made to order. They don't have any stock sat there live. Um, I mean, I know they've got the burgers cooking in the background and bits and pieces, but they don't actually have any ins like paper ready to go. So, that a lot of customers um, saw the saw the efficiency of the fast food as a bit of a given. It was standard. You go to a fast food outlet. What do you expect? Fast food. Okay, okay, Mister Customer. What do you want? And Mister and Mrs. Customer wanted better food. Now, it is better. You've got to admit, from when you were a kid to now, the food is better. Yeah. They do a better variety. I mean, it costs more, but they do a better, they do a better variety. They do a better job of taste. Um, I mean, it's not great, let's be honest, but it's fine, <laughs> and it's a much better than it used to be. Those horrible burgers look horrendous, and yeah, and they can do that almost at the same pace as when they had five or six cheeseburgers sat there waiting to be dished out. Yeah, and that comes from. Yeah, listening to listening to the customers about what do they want. Um, so back to gardening and lawn care. Obviously, they're just some examples from random businesses throughout the world, and there's loads of them. And there's some probably some that you think, oh, we didn't mention that great example. But we um, we in our businesses have got this opportunity during winter when we're a little bit quieter, and even if you're working full days, it's dark from three thirty till whatever time in the evening uh, to, sorry till the following morning and you really have an opportunity to 
develop some of these systems. Now I've been doing some and I'm hoping to bring some onto my YouTube channel and show you some because I'm nigh on finished on some of them. And these are toolboxes, TPE sorting, waste slip sorting, expenses, boring stuff to be honest. Um, but it's an efficiency game and it's a system and it's a process and i've been through how do we make it the most efficient and I, it's difficult to explain how i've done that without really showing you but yeah you have a bit of an opportunity at the moment to go and review some systems and just take a little bit of time and just make things better because this is seasonal as you know and with it being seasonal you have an opportunity to make lots and lots of money when the sun's shining and slightly less money when in the winter so the more money you can make then the less you theoretically need to make in the winter and um, what's what's your top three easiest things to make marginal gains on well it's the business? biggest it's the biggest topic and it depends on your business in my humble opinion but for me it would be the mo the like the mo yeah. and go and I guess you've got to look at your, um, look at what you're actually producing. So, like, yep. is it a new is it a new mem new colleague that you've got that's just slow on the turn or missing little tufts or just you know like is it a training thing? Yep. Is it a loading and unloading thing? Is it you're taking waste away when you shouldn't be? Um, are you, you know, there's loads of little things like that, but I would say look at the, the whole mowing efficiency and how to tighten that up. Because if you can fit two or three more little residential mows in a day, that's a lot of extra money at the end of the month. It's massive, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't take much. You, you know, you take a minute off each mow. Yeah. Two minutes off each mow, whatever. And you don't need to be looking at much. And I think um, your tool layout is massive. And yeah. I just think general organisation of the van. Sorry, this is the same one. But general organisation of the van, I think, is huge. Um, so you don't need to necessarily look at the process. But I think if you can get your... If you can make it so you can put your hand on every single bit of equipment that you own without with your eyes closed you're laughing because if you can do it with your eyes closed yeah then you're probably never going to lose it and if you have colleagues they're going to be able to find it and all so um yeah i think that and then i think to be honest generally it's it's your root density and your types of customers so it's your type of work and your root density so is it the same work that you're doing and is it are you constantly stopping and starting different things? So, like, you go into a hedge cut and then you go into a leaf clearance and then you're going to do five mows on the bounds. Or actually, is it that you're just slashing out 25 mows in that day or 20 mows or whatever? Um, yeah, and it might be a little bit boring and mundane, but, like, that repetitive um, element can really help sometimes because it's just easy. It's just easy to get in the swing of it yeah. and just keep producing the same thing. When you're stopping and starting and putting down, that change over time between I'm now a hedge cutter and, you know, or now I'm a, I don't know, a leaf clearance man, it's 
it's, it's, it takes a lot because you've got to unload the equipment, set it up, start it up, go to start that job. Whereas if you just like, I don't know, if, I hate to go back to moan blowing because it's not all about that, but like uh, that's the example I'm using because that's me. But the, um, yeah, if you can just keep doing that process um, all day, but that comes from top level of looking down at your down at your systems and your customer base, your service area, um, and I think that I think that's probably the biggest. If you get one percent on your entire mowing route over summer, that'd be worth a fortune. Yeah, that'd be worth an absolute fortune. You know, you're probably talking an extra, like <laughs> you know, to do the maths. <laughs> <laughs> So that would be an extra. Three thousand pounds a year. It's a lot of money. At minimum. For one one percent. Minimum. Yeah. That's without fitting extra work in. Yeah. It's huge. It's bonkers. It's huge. Because of the amount that you do it. Yeah. And it might be the amount that you're doing weeding or the amount that you're doing fencing or whatever um <coughs> you know uh, i mean fencing's huge because the amount of times you walk it back and forth to the van to pick up this to pick up that to go to the hose pipe to go to it it's massive you you must you must walk 10 mile doing doing, <laughs> doing some fencing jobs and you know it's um it's awkward you pick something up and then you can't reach the hammer or the screwdriver or the or screwdriver the drill um yeah it's massive it's, and for me it's incredibly inefficient because i don't do it that much and anything that you don't do that much you just yeah. terrible you're just terrible at any new service or um yeah not great cool so marginal gains it's worth going after any small of any any small little thing like um if you're reaching too far for a tool you're having to get into the van if your spray lubricants are constantly a mess and you're getting hit in the face with WD forty every time you go into the go into the box or just whatever, you know. You've had a door handle and you've a varo broken for nine yeah. months and you can't get in the side door. That's the least of that band's worries. <laughs> um yeah, so we've all got things to work on, but um it's a good time now to tackle those tackle those things and then you can go into the fresh into the season fresh. And you know, it's not as if I'm sat here twiddling my thumbs, you know, I've had a full day of I had a full day of leaf clearing on a commercial site today, and um, yeah, I'm feeling it. But you know, like tomorrow will be a slightly lighter day, so we'll have a we'll have a little bit of a go. But yeah, marginal gains I think is a really important thing to look at, and just Google some examples. You know, they were just like four or five that I've I've learned over the years, and there's there's more than that out there because the bigger your company and the more you do an activity, the bigger the saving, and it's worth it. So thanks for tuning in guys and we'll see you in the next one. See you later.